Sonic Statesman. What's wrong? Welcome, everybody, to Sonic Talk number 182, recording live today, Wednesday, the 14th of July. You'll be able to find it on iTunes, uh, edited into a beautiful um, thing of beauty uh, tomorrow, Thursday, uh, or on uh, Ustream, um, where you'll see the live video stream, which is me on the camera now, and there's me, called Prophecy. So uh, let's say hello and welcome to our guests. First guest, of course. Uh, well, let's say hello to Dave Robinson, because we've had such a palaver trying to get through to you. How are you? Dave Robinson, <laughs> editor of ProSound News Europe. Hello. Dot com. I don't, you know, the first day, the first time for ages, I've been sat in this room waiting, you know, not rushing around, had the room all booked, and come in, and then we've, our, uh, our switchboard operator has been replaced by a chimpanzee, obviously, for today. <laughs> oh, I'm so, sorry to hear that. Anyway, but here oh. I am, looking out at a very, very rainy London, actually. It's just started coming down. The water's coming down like the window, like, uh, like at the beginning of the Matrix. Really? That's uh, bizarre. If I see a bloke, it looks a bit like uh, Mr. Smith a bit later. Oh, I'm slightly concerned, but anyway. Well, Dave, um, so what have you been up to? So you've had a um, you've you've had some had some fun recently. Tell us. Uh, had some fun. Well, I've been to a couple of the big gigs in um, in Hyde Park over the last couple of weeks. I went to see um, Pink last uh, last Friday. Right. And uh, that was. I'm not a big I'm not a big Pink fa Pink fan. I'm more of a fan of the Ting Tings actually, and they were excellent. But Pink yeah. uh, Pink was the main attraction. And uh, she was even though it's it's this sort of American rock kind of thing, which isn't really my isn't really my thing, uh, but uh, she puts on a damn good show. She does this um, uh, carnival type show. Yeah. The, the drummer sits in a in a kind of a waltzer, and <laughs> uh, she has these. Um, there's this big screen that keeps zooming in and out of this kind of fun fair and different rides on the fun fair, and then right at the end, there's this whole sort of pyrotechnic display, and they hook her up into um, a, 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 a belt, um, you know, a flying uh, flying belt, and then. Uh, strap her to the tie lines and she actually flies out over the, the audience. I mean, it's the sort of thing, sort of thing you'd see in a, in a theatre, you know, wow. senior March Theatre or something like that. Or in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or something. But to actually see it in the, um, in, a, in, a, in Hyde Park, in a live arena, it was pretty, pretty impressive. And she's, I tell you what, she's amazing. I don't know, Rich, if, if you've had an experience of, of pink at all, but she's, she's amazing... Uh, mostly physical. I mean, she's built in a Madonna kind of way, you know. But not. But she's a little bit more feminine. <laughs> um, but uh, she's, she's she is singing. You know, she is singing every word. Unlike a certain B Spears, who who doesn't. No, she's a proper uh, yes, singer. Isn't she? Uh, fantastic. Um, and uh, before that, I went to see Paul McCartney. He was rubbish. Wow! Really? <laughs> he was really. Well, he wasn't rubbish. He was just, uh, he just got no idea after however many years of, uh, of being a showman. Yeah. You know, he comes on, okay, it was the afternoon when England got knocked out of the World Cup, but he comes on stage and goes, hi, London, we're going to have some fun tonight in this kind of somewhere between an American talk show and, and Liverpool, you know, somewhere in the, in the Azores. <laughs> this awful accent. You're going, no, Paul, we're not having much fun at all, mate. You know, we've just lost the football. Cheer us up. And it took a good hour and a half for him to really get going. He played um, something um, uh, on the ukulele, you know. And, <laughs> Do you think um, that was it? Was that in honour well, of... Oh, yeah, and that, was, that, was, that really lifted it. Um, uh -huh. Juicy Audio in the chat that. room says he is 67. Well, yeah, but, you know, Mick Jagger's as old, isn't he? And he, 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 he can turn it on. 
It's yeah. just, it was a bit, it was all a bit kind of wet, really. And the banter between the tracks was, hey, and then Jimmy Hendrix said to me, and then la la la. It's like, shut up, Paul. Sing us another Beatles song. Oh, yeah, and I'll tell you what, the worst bit, <laughs> while I'm here, but the, word, the bit that we, what I found was really annoying. Right, it's Paul McCartney. He's got more money than God. And um, they played um, Eleanor Rigby. And yeah. Wicks Wickens, uh, Paul Wicks Wickens, you know, he's an old keyboard player and the old Korg demonstrator. He was there. And he played all the string parts on, on the keyboard. And he thought, oh, please, bring on a string quartet. Do it properly. Dave, you're uh, very harsh. I don't, I don't, where, well, where's this I all know, coming but, from? <laughs> I don't find I'm in a good mood as well. <laughs> Bring on the next subject. Did you get your money back? Air it down. Anyway, so that's me. ProSoundNews.Europe.com, where you can get the digital online. yeah. Yep, uh, all the stuff to do with... Actually, it's really interesting stuff, you know, to do with uh, broadcast, uh, live sound, live reinforcement, um, all that kind of stuff, isn't it? Studio, Studio. Uh, installation, installed sound, yeah, all that. Well, welcome, Dave. Uh, I don't Thank have you. a double Dave. I can play you a... Prophecy jingle because I got me called Prophecy because you you weren't with us last week but I I, uh, I, I got I bought one live online because we were talking about it and then one came up on eBay and I thought oh sorry I'm going to buy it and I bought it and it's oh, great wow. so, and here it is so anyway how, I much, think, how much you pay for that two hundred and thirty nine pounds right which doesn't seem very much really for a, a uh, twenty year old were you talking about it? yes we were yeah. it was not something uh, I randomly do while I'm trying to do a live show oh I know well, I'll just hang stuff. around on eBay and buy synthesizers no, it comes along yeah. did you talk about the, uh, the, the prodigy we did yes the lead oh, sounds I thought so I thought it inevitably would come up but anyway it did on. come up uh, anyway um, so welcome Dave and also welcome to Rich Hilton from Connecticut how are you doing Rich very well thank you how about you I'm good thank you very much yeah Rich of course uh, works in the studio day in day out with Nile Rogers plays with Chic all over the world. Big, big cheese when it comes to music production. I think it's fair to say. Would you, would you, you wouldn't feel uncomfortable with that, would you, Dave? Uh, Rich? I'm not uncomfortable with Niall being a grand fromage, no. <laughs> anyway, um, nice to have you here. Uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. So welcome, everybody. Um, let's, I, I was going to start off, I mean, this, this was something, I don't know why this came up, and I was just thinking, you're in the studio, one, two, three, four, and they suck. And there's just you just that you've got somebody in for whatever reason. You've set all the session. I've got the sound, and they just can't do it. It's like it's like we get sometimes when we're filming people at trade shows. They're already you know totally professional, but as soon as the red light goes on, they just fall to pieces and they can't do it. What do you do? Or, or perhaps they're just rubbish. I guess that doesn't happen too much to you, uh, Rich. But um, when it does, what do you do about it? How do you handle that sort of situation? You figure out what to tell them that will make it suck less. <laughs> and not hurt their feelings. Yeah, well, that's quite important, isn't it? Because it's it, you, you sort of don't want it to get any worse because it's very uncomfortable. And it might for a second once you start directing anything. It, it may get worse for a second there. Yeah, that is always possible. I, and I think, the, yeah, I, I don't know how one would um, deal with that when you, you know, because there's something you, you've just got to go through the excruciating pain of at least one take and then kind of go. I mean, one of the things that I often say is, uh, or have said, not often say, because I don't get to do this very often these days, is um, that's great. I think what we've got what we need. Um, we'll just, um, let's just try a couple of licks and then, you know, we'll be able to use those because we can move it around. Because obviously in the old days when it was all tape, you sort of didn't have any, any way around it. It was just, you had to get the tape right and think, can I actually. Uh, figure out how to put this together in tape but i guess with pro tools and samplers and whatever we've got a lot more options haven't we well 
it's not like I wasn't doing that back 20 years ago too, but you, you have to figure out. And furthermore, the politics of the situation dictate that if there's a producer on the session, you have to filter the ideas through him and make sure that he thinks they were all his idea. <laughs> what well, the, they and get, and get the best out of it. But it's whatever sometimes... those communications need to be that makes it suck less should ideally go through their producer and let him look like a genius and uh, let him believe he's a genius. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to think of the last time it happened to me. I think um, I, th- I asked someone to try to play a solo and it just wasn't working out. And I ended, I sort of cut something together out of it and it, it sort of worked out. It might have even, I, c- I can't remember who it was, but the, the sometimes you get to a point in some sessions where you realize that there's no, there's a diminishing returns aren't there, and then you're not going to get anything better out of it. Well, there's definitely a point where you realize that the best thing that can happen to this session right now is for them to go home and let me make it what it needs to be. Mm. Now, that may sound really, really, uh, I don't know, bold or... (laughs) It's different for different people, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, I was in in the studio recording last night for the first time in a long time. Um, Because I'm just, uh, I'm in this new band called Barney Jameson and the Hollow Men. I thought I'd just give him a little plug there. Absolutely. uh, um, We're, um, Barney from, uh, used to be on um, uh, Digital Village and uh, used to be the website guy, Digital Village and, and, yeah, anyway, whatever. Uh, He he sings and uh, and writes a lot of the tunes and I'm playing keyboards. Ah. And of course, we're we're putting something together for for an EP for a festival at the end of... um, August, so that the main contributors to the festival can all put you know a track down for a compilation, and uh, and it struck me that it's been a long time since I've been in the studio, and I thought I turned up with my uh, weighted keyboard M Audio uh, uh, Pro Pro Keys 88 or whatever it's called, and um, expecting him to mic up the amp, but of course no, he put it into a um, a, a, a Steinway Grand in Logic Pro. And I drove it, you know, I just used it as a, as a weighted MIDI controller, effectively. And, of course, there were certain bits which I was, was fiddling with, and, and they just went back into, um, uh, they went into, into the, um, uh, the, the, the piano roll window and uh, just removed the notes that were wrong. But, of course, if you're a guitarist, you can't do that, can you? There's only so much you can, and even with the likes of Melodyne and the DNA editor, there's only so much fixing in the mix you can do I mean, if, if you've got a bad guitarist if you've got somebody who's just awful it's just going to be awful isn't it yeah yeah I, 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 did, we, did you get a bit of a sweat on that dave or were you confident you'd be able to to get your chops a bit of a sweat on. on well well there were a lot of sharps in one bit <laughs> there, was, there was a c sharp minor seventh chord and i Oof. had to move between that and f sharp minor quite quickly so that that was a bit of a moment <laughs> oh, that sounds that great! Point, That's great that you're actually sorry. you're playing live and stuff. That sounds brilliant. What fun! Well, yeah, we've done we've done three live gigs and playing in Tunbridge Wells, and, and hopefully, you know, something um, something good's going to come out of it. It's been a long time since I've been in a band, but it's it's great getting in there. And the, um, funny thing is, the guy who runs the studio is this fantastic bloke called Pete. He's a real happy house head. So while we're rehearsing in the live room, we'll hear him next door going, <laughs> putting these ridiculously fast speed house, uh, you know, um, a freeform party core, I think he calls it, all these tracks together. And you think, how can you possibly do this without being, you know, up to your eyeballs in ecstasy? <laughs> uh, anyway, maybe so, uh, just, is, uh, just, just out of interest, Dave, what are you going to be using live when you play live? 
Um, well, I will use the uh, the, the pro keys and um, uh, just the uh, you know stereo stereo out from that. And just use the onboard sounds, which aren't bad. Not as good as I have to say. The uh, the Steinway Ground on Logic Pro was uh, was better, but it ain't it ain't a bad sound. Mm, okay. Um, you know, unless well, last gig we played there was a, there was a, a Baby Grand available, so I played that. But um, lovely. But yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh, there was that classic oh yeah well that's alright oh yeah we just copied and paste that bit and it was a classic <laughs> I said no I'm going to play that bit again I'm not going to fall prey to this this landscaping this uh, cut and paste this technology notator whatever this, this <laughs> thing that started off where people don't have to do anymore and now just move it around yeah fix it in the mix mate play, play one note no I'm going to play those notes brilliant I'm going to stand up for my rights so what time did that. you end up leaving them uh, upper three this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was only in there an hour. Oh, well done. In and out. I'm in super out. talented, you see. So, yeah, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> but uh, actually, uh, just for, I'm not pointing on it. I mean, the reason you asked this question, if you're, a, if you're a jobbing sound engineer, that's a whole different ballgame to if you're um, a professional and, uh, and the A&R guy brings uh, somebody in. Um because you expect that band to be of a certain level, don't you? Yes. Unless, of course, you're the Sex Pistols, <laughs> when the bass player can't do anything, so Glenn Matlock does all the parts. Yeah, well, that's but true. anyway. You find out the dirty secret. Rich, <laughs> do you, you get, I mean, you get to play quite a lot, do you still, um, actually in recording sessions rather than just live? I mean, do you find that there are some situations that are, or some instruments that you'll say, no, I'd really rather not have a go at that because you know it's going to be stretching you a bit much? I mean, is there, do you find yourself in a situation where you, you, you struggle to kind of get, get that uh, result? I mean, I mean, imagine you probably don't because you're a fairly talented keyboard well, player. Certainly in the broad sense, I come across every so often styles that I might think I'm not best suited to as compared to others who specialize in those styles. And uh, I'll even go so far as to say that the older I get, the more I think that's likely to happen if I'm out there in the world doing sessions. Yeah. As it pertains to my work with Nile, the vast majority of what we do is done in his one-room studio recording one thing at a time and sure. creating things one element at a time. And so, yes, I play a lot of those things on a lot of different instruments. And, you know, in other words, I'm triggering different instruments. Mechanically, I'm, I'm either playing keyboards or guitar. But, um, you know, drum programming and bass programming all requires you getting into that mindset of the style you're in and what would a person reasonably do here, you know. And you're always examining it from that perspective. So... But so I because I don't do a lot of like walk into the studio, meet four guys I've never met before, sit down, read the chart and play kind of sessions. I don't come up against it quite the way you framed the question. Right. I understand. OK, but but that's kind of how it works for me. Yeah, of course, there are styles where I'm stretching. As soon as you, for example, as soon as you get into anything resembling Latin piano, I'm imitating somebody else. As soon as I sit down to do it, it's not because I have any direct linkage to that style of music through my playing in history it's like something i learned later on sort of what it sounds like and i can kind of imitate it mm. um and That's in the mark certain of a really dance good session player isn't it somebody who can imitate you know reggae or funk or, or jazz well, you have to. Or just you, turn, you, turn, you, turn their hand to any style 
Yeah, well, you've heard the reggae records, and you know kind of what those guys do and kind of which instruments they mostly choose. And you can even think about why that might be the case. And and uh, you can sort of fake your way through. But fortunately, most of my stuff doesn't end up having to do that. If we're doing movies, there come times where I have to stretch into areas where I'm not necessarily you know, the greatest ragtime piano player in the world or the great, you know, whatever. Right. I got you. Mm. So that's, that's sort of my long winded answer to your well, no, fair enough. I, I, it was, a, it was a question that I, and, and I'm, as I said, I wasn't sure I really asked it before, but it just sort of thought, Oh, there's a situation that you have to sometimes deal with in the studio. Vince Clark studio cam. Now this is an interesting idea. Um, Vince Clark music.com. Um, Vince has got a studio camera. Um, I, I, at least I, I think it is. From what I've seen, I, I know if I show, uh, there's a screenshot there and it's got three or four or five, six stills. I don't know whether it's actually a live thing going on, but he's basically got it set up in his studio. And, um, you know, I was thinking, wow, I bet that's popular. That looks like a really good idea. But then I thought, actually, is it a really good idea? Would you, would you be... Would you be comfortable having, you know, having the the camera on all the time and just kind of recording what was going on, or would you want to make sure it was, it was heavily vetted? Dave, if you know, seeing this, thinking, oh, there's a Vince Clark. What what were you expecting to see, and what would you have hoped to see, given it? Um, well, what you see mainly, I mean, wherever it's positioned, you're seeing a lot of his piano. No, is it, sorry, it's the piano. It's not a piano. Um, the uh, it's a mixing desk that he's got. And you can see his his little bald head, and then you can see some shapes in the background. But uh, why would you why would you watch that? There's no there's no audio feed. Ah, uh, yeah, that's I what mean, I was thinking. I'm thinking the last time I I bothered looking at something like that was well, it was chat roulette the other night. <laughs> <laughs> um, not no, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the sites you see on chat roulette. Uh, now the the last time I I watched some kind of live streaming thing was when uh, Imogen Heap did her sessions in uh, in hawaii right but they were sort of they were um what they uh, improvisational based weren't they to just yeah. Get, yeah but but yeah no it was live streaming and she was playing and it was fabulous and you you saw that as well didn't you yeah i did yeah yeah because i remember seeing one of your comments come up but no that was that was lovely and it was something to see but why would i why am i interested in in, in um vince clark's little little world you know i i, I thought you know i'm not gonna if i uh well, if I never come back here, it'll be too soon. That's what I was. I, I was. I no was point. a bit disappointed. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed ultimately with the content. But it, I mean, because I, I just thought I, when I was looking at it, because of the time difference, it just wasn't live. There was nothing going on. Mm. But I mean, well, maybe he's got he's got other plans. But do you think? But Rich, do you think that there are times when it would be you know, if you had this sort of facility, at which point would it be a good idea to switch it on and 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 the rest of the time not on? I mean, how do you, how could that work dynamically? Because as we're kind of getting into the situation where artists are trying to generate more and more content from their whole creative process, I mean, this is essentially part of the creative process. And let's face it, Vince Clark's studio is a source of massive fascination to a lot of people. You know, what what how would you how could you see it working well? Oops, perhaps well, I've had it working well. Oh. <laughs> I've actually, it's funny you should ask because I've done this. Um, okay. And uh, my friend Tim, with whom I built the most recent Le Carib version, uh, hipped me to how to do this. Uh, it, it's not, it wasn't live streaming video. It was, um, I think, one every 30 seconds or one every 15 seconds or something. You yeah. Know, a still shot. And uh, for me, it was useful to use as a security measure so I could see what was going on in the studio when I wasn't there. So I kind of like that aspect of it. Um, 
pardon me. Um, I was comfortable with it, even with all my bizarre habits, like chewing my nails and messing with my hair and all that. It, I, I didn't mind. I wouldn't feel, I didn't feel terribly self-conscious about it. It seemed some people like to look in on that, and that was okay with me too. Uh-huh. But I think, uh, in fact, I know, uh, based on later conversations and uh, its ultimate demise, that it was not comfortable for other people to have that on. Yeah, I, I, that, I suppose that's the one thing I could see. You know, if you've got, say, well, we're going back to our first topic, somebody's struggling with a, to, 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 to sit in the pocket or come up with the goods, and, they, and then you, met, you happen to mention there's a live webcam with a thousand people watching at the same time. It's not going to help uh, the situation much, is it? But, it, it, I, you know, we don't have these moments. Uh, you know, the, no, no, I suppose not. It's like my piano teacher used to tell me, uh, my English piano teacher used to tell me, worst things happen at sea. You know, it's not, it's not, there are very few catastrophes. And if so, you can just turn the thing off. I mean, you know, if, if all of a sudden somebody walks in with some incredibly bad news, you know, like George Steinbrenner just passed away um, or whatever, then, then uh, you can, you know, you can turn the cam off while you have that conversation if you want, whatever. I, it, it's not that, it, as I say, it wasn't an issue for me, but it was for other people. Mm. I'm just wondering if there are times when it would be good to have one. You know, maybe like you're doing a, you know, the setup or your the band. If it's a whole band playing live in the studio and putting down some stuff, that might be kind of interesting to watch and maybe not a problem. Because um, well, I know, I know that. Wouldn't you rather? I'd rather watch that kind of thing in a, in a form that's being made into a documentary that's been edited, right. that's that's being put together with some kind of craft rather than just because you know how much mucking about goes on in studios and, and like yeah. setting up live and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that, right, that is very true. But that's because you know what happens. Most people don't know what happens. Well, I, I so, suppose that's a good point. In as much as they don't know what happens, if you had say three or four camera feed with live audio coming from a basic track session for artist X that everybody cared about. I think that's a pay-per-view moment that could be, you know, yeah, that could be a new, that could be a new entertainment thing. If you could find artists who are willing to lay it on the line like that. Yeah. So, shut, uh, but all, all it takes is for the A&R guy to, or the guy from the record company to, uh, to watch the video and realize how his money is being frittered away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, but they come to the studio too. You know that. I mean, they'll sp- they'll sit and watch the money. They'll they'll start the conversation that fritters away the time. You know. Yeah. Whatever. Well, I suppose. Well, and, I, and, I, and an A and R guy for whom? <laughs> well, anyway. he's that. Yes. Good point. <laughs> I'm wondering though. I mean, I, I think maybe something like with with the Vince Clark thing. You know, if you had multiple cameras, like with quite close and tight on specific synthesizers that you could just switch between, and it was just stuff was going on or not, and you're not necessarily going to get a feed, but you can just see that somebody's maybe tweaking a set. That would be something you might check in on once in a while, or having a corner of a web web page. Or what. I don't know. I mean, I take your point about wanting the edited highlights. You don't necessarily want to watch 12 hours of video to see 30 seconds of inspiration, or or even less in some cases. So. I'm just wondering in what way it could be made to work. I mean, because, you know, we're streaming this live, and essentially it's me in a studio with a pair of headphones just talking about this with audio feeds and a couple of layovers and, you know, a different camera, which I'll flip to there. But, you know, it's not it's not something that people aren't aren't uh, comfortable with to, to view, and maybe not. I suppose this has a format, and we're talking. We, it's a discussion, so there is a format to it, so it's easier on the eye or ear or whatever. I mean, at least I hope so. Well, and it's, I think it's still not 
a bad thing for them to see because in our pre-show prep, you and I had a conversation briefly about whether my camera could be piped in as well. And I've discussed with you in the past the possibility of doing this as a television show. Sure. You know what I mean? Like bringing it into a more visual presentation medium because the conversation works well for us and people seem to dig – as I've said to you before, I think the personalities drive the topics and it's a beautiful thing. And now I'm talking about the show on the show. Oh, it's (laughs) matter. It's kind of like talking talking about somebody in the third person when they're in the room. Well – Recursive loop. Recursive loop. Well, anyway, I, I just thought it was worth mentioning. And, and for those of you who are interested, I mean, the the, the images do change. Uh, Vince Clark Music uh, with an E, mu- the Clark with an E, music.com. There's a studio cam there. Apparently him and Andy Bell are working on a new Erasure album in, the, in his little cabin in Maine. Well, big cabin. So you can kind of keep an eye on it and see what's going on. In fact, the last, the studio status says uh, it's raining in Maine, the perfect weather for writing sad songs. So, you know, something to catch up. I mean, I suppose it's, it gives people a way to become, have an investment in the, in the creative process and maybe think, oh, actually, I really want to hear the process, the, the results of this process because I've seen certain, some of it, uh, some of it in, you know, in action. Anyway, um, I think it's probably at this point, it'd be nice to say hello and uh, thank you very much to our show sponsor, uh, YamahaDownload.com. We're very pleased to be able to continue to call them a a sponsor of the show. And in fact, uh, what they would like to draw your attention to, amongst other things, uh, firstly, uh, YamahaDownload.com, there's a lot of information up there about the latest drivers, uh, sessions, uh, artist interviews, artist tours, uh, all kinds of stuff, the new gear. In fact, there is some new gear being announced quite soon, which I can't tell you anything about because I don't know about it yet. Um, next week I'll be going to find out about it uh, but also they want to bring to your attention the new CP uh, spectral component modelling stage pianos uh, really they're encouraging you to, to essentially go into a store and try one out because obviously you might see things on uh, YouTube and on the internet and you know just videos of things happening but you can't really beat the actual experience of playing one of these things because uh, the whole point about the the great hammer action and the built in effects and all of the brilliant uh, electroacoustic keyboard emulations and spectral modeling that, that, that are there you really need to check them out for yourself so there's the cp1 the cp5 and the cp50 stage pianos uh, you've got to go and try one and if by any chance you end up buying one just tell them we sent you because then everybody will be happy so uh sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha we thank yamaha very much for their continued show, uh, sponsorship of the show right um let's see what the next topic is well can i just can i just mention something Nick? yes I please know, do uh, i think um when was the last time diego was on the on the show uh, well he hasn't even been on for a while i think he's been quite busy unfortunately did you see did i did you see that link on the word newsletter i did yeah it's quite a big deal isn't it isn't that, isn't that fantastic? Yeah, he got, um, his, to his, what was the name? Was it the Basso 40? I can't remember the name of the instrument now because it's not immediately in front of me. It's another one of his fabulous instruments, mm. which uh, did have great sound. Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was part of one of the many piano broken, smashed up piano keyboards. He was using it to trigger and play notes on a fretboard. Is that something along the Yeah, it was sort of like a fretboard piano thing and he was and he was sort of slapping the ends and then looping it and, and building up all the parts. Um overdubbing. And uh it, it the video was was really nicely put together. And for for those who didn't see it, Word magazine, the UK um sort of serious music magazine, they have a weekly newsletter called Something for the Weekend, which goes out on a Thursday. And often they have some fantastic and sort of tangential um, websites and, and things that they found 
and um, their their first uh, their first link was to um, the best they, they what do they call it the best homemade instrument ever. I forwarded to to, to him. And uh, I got and I got a nice reply back saying, "Oh, where was this from?" Yeah, so uh, yeah, well, uh, way I to thought, go, Diego. Thought, well, yeah, fantastic. And I saw the hits. Um, I sort of checked, and he, he certainly gathered a few thousand hits uh, that afternoon. I can tell you that. No, so that's good for him. Good, anyway, good, yeah. I thought I'd mention that. Just that uh, it's just it's just to see some of uh, you know, somebody that's on the show just to then get picked up by the real world. <laughs> yes, outside of our little ghetto bubble. In fact, Diego's yeah. probably doing the best of all. <laughs> Anyway, well, good. Yeah, congratulations, Diego. Go and check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes because it's a, it's a great piece. Um, actually, there was uh, the, the next thing was the this Facebook like button. Have you uh, noticed that? Because the Facebook have recently changed their um, basically the way that they do fan pages. Uh, this is an article mm. from a chap called Nick Collins. I mean, it may seem like an innocuous kind of social media comment, but it has quite a big bearing on the way that news can spread. Because uh, obviously, as we know, Facebook's got I don't, what is it? just millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of viewers. Uh, and this is an article from Nick Collins on Million Media. Uh, on the 21st of April, uh, Facebook rolled out the open graph like button, which enables web surfers who are logged in to Facebook to say, oh, I like this page, if you put a like button on your page. And that will show up on their wall and say, you know, so-and-so liked this page, which means that everybody else will get to see it. And then if somebody else clicks it, then the popularity goes. And you get these sort of graphs of how that affects page visits and sort of essentially sort of fan rather than joining a, a group or a band as a fan you you just say you like it and i've got a screenshot here and this uh, shows basically that uh, they in a, in a few days they the, the people that manage them at million media uh, they manage a few fan sites uh, one of the one of those and they look after like 100,000 plus fans they saw a big fi- uh, spike in one case the fan base more than doubled from 60 to 120,000 in a matter of days which just seems like an astonishing kind of more than an exponential bit of growth. Uh, if you're watching the video stream, you'll be able to see that little uh, graphic there, which shows a sort of, you know, a sudden jump, which looks like a step and then a huge climb. And it just seems like now, um, in some ways, this is going to be perhaps an interesting challenge to the way that people promote their music. And I thought, I mean, we've got a Facebook fan page, although we don't haven't seen any results like that. <laughs> um, I haven't really been promoting it. But perhaps, you know, if you're creating music yourself, then maybe this is really... A good idea because if you've got a, a, a reasonable community, you can promote yourself. You can basically increase the number of people who are aware of your music and the ways that it can leave your immediate group of friends just exponentially. And it sounds like it's um, it, it could be quite a good move. Do you do you do the Facebook stuff for ProSign News Europe and kind of to get into all that, or do you keep it contained within your own site? Well, we've got a Twitter feed which is yes, I follow it. At least. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, which is. Not as successful as I'd, as I'd like it to be, frankly. Um, we have we kind of started a Facebook group, um, but it's one of those things you need to keep feeding. And we've got our own website, and we're trying to we're trying to build that up and, and keep the news content going on as much as we can there. So um, the <clears throat> we're sort of focusing more on what on what we can supply people from our website rather than using. The new social media, as I say, our Twitter feed. We've got a few hundred uh, followers, and and that the tweets go straight to our website. We've got a Twitter window there. Yeah. And um, but Facebook, I tend to Facebook is for me. It's for Dave Robinson rather than for the magazine. If you see what I mean. Yes, of course. So if there's something that's 
it's got my Proso News head on, then I'll I'll Twitter that because that will go through through to our official website. But but inevitably, um, Facebook. There are people I know in the industry who will comment, and there'll be the occasional industry comment that gets up there. But I try to keep business and pleasure separately because and there's certain people who invite me to be their friend, and I don't want to be their friend. I don't want them to see. Make pictures of me drunk or, or whatever, you know. Well, they can go to trade show and see that. <laughs> <laughs> Experience it live. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't know, but but I was I was reading this report. I mean, it is quite strange that the the seemingly innocuous nature of the word like, as opposed to become a fan. Become yeah, it seems like less of a commitment. Of a commitment. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Interesting. It's quite clever because what they actually do is. Well, if you're lo- it, it pulls effectively a piece of code from Facebook. So if you're currently logged into Facebook, when you click on that, it knows who you are and what page you've visited and will then tell, if you like it, it'll tell all your mates that you've liked this page and that, that you're sort of bookmarking it effectively. So, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of ins and outs about privacy and what have you, but if you know what you're doing, then it seems like it could be quite a good idea. I, I, I'm not sure whether to do it for something like Sonic, but I know, Rich, have you, do, do, do you, does your kind of world inhabit that kind of, because you, you use Facebook, don't you? I mean, does, do, do any of your musical projects that you're involved in use any of this kind of stuff? Can you see that working for them? Um, yeah, I could see it working. And I noticed when they went over to the like instead of become a fan thing for the group pages. And then I began to notice that the like thumbs up thing was becoming more ubiquitous in other people's websites and in news organizations postings, which I occasionally will post links from. If I find an article about, you know, the world or politics or entertainment or something I find interesting in a major news outlet, I'll share it sometimes say on Facebook and they now have like buttons on almost all of that stuff. Yeah. Exclusive of whether or not you want to share it. Like, like they're all kind of hooking in their media to the social networking media, particularly to Facebook, although they may be hooking into other things as well. But that's where I experience it. And so, and then because most people have set up their Facebook profiles so that every single thing they do say type or respond to gets posted to every single one of their friends on their newsfeed. What happens is as people start indicating that they like things, everybody else finds out about them. So I'm on my news page and I see a buddy of mine just clicked. He likes Razan Roland Kirk or something. And I yeah. click on the name Razan Roland Kirk and there's a page I didn't know existed before about this great jazz saxophonist. And I'll click like, because, yeah, I think Razan Roland Kirk, I don't mind having him on my page, you know. So, you know, that's, I think I understand the viral nature of it. I think it's, uh, it's a sort of a small piece of optimism for me in a, in a sea of entertainment disasters. <laughs> um, but do you, I mean, because, do, you, do you think it's, it's, it's actually because we're, we're inundated with content, then we're going to end up with these sort of, the, that filters, filters of, uh, stuff being filtered for us pre-filtered i suppose rather than you know being sent out through the usual channels it can get to us through different ways i mean and i think with music i haven't seen it working with music in terms of oh check this out it's a really good piece of music yet but i'm sure that's got to work i don't know when i see this explosion of content that becomes available to me on my own that i can research or google or grab through the facebook news page or anything the first thing i'm thinking about is not well, who's trying to take it away from me or why should it be hard for me to see certain other things? Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just thankful that I can 
you know, see a link to an article that declares that the village people are expressing disappointment in the name change for the YMCA. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You saw that? <laughs> Can you forward me that one? Well, you have, please, you know what, Dave? I tried to hook up with you on Facebook, but there's 10,000 Dave Robinsons on Facebook. <laughs> I couldn't find you for the life of me. So if you would go looking for Hiltonius and hook I'll us up that. with friends, I could link it to I'll you. I don't that, know who yeah. to send it to. But, but it was just a silly example that I did happen to post yesterday because I thought it was hilarious. But, but um, I don't know. It's, I, I'm just thankful that I get, I get to see. I can sit down in an hour and see all this different stuff. Heck, I posted your MoFo review yesterday, Nick. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. It was great. Thank you. Well done. Cheers. Well, the um, I'm just trying to think what we've got coming soon. I've just done. No, I haven't done. I, I've posted the Zills Lab, which I mentioned. Um, I'm having a bit of a break because I'm trying to get some some boring nuts and bolts stuff done behind the scenes. But I've got some more things coming up. Um, what have we got? Well, nothing I can talk about because it's embargoed. But I'll I'll mention I'll mention <laughs> oh, it. I'll on. mention it soon. It's it's an audio interface from uh, from some, from a large manufacturer. So uh, be, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting. And, but anyway, I mean, perhaps um, this is, yes, as the chat room are beginning to grumble about, this is becoming a bit too social media rather than uh, sonic talk. So perhaps we could pull it back into, uh, in, into the world of, of music by, right. um, by talking about Thomas Dolby's boat. Okay, I'm going to put a picture of Thomas Dolby's boat up there because I've, I've now figured out. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know yeah. where it is? It is uh, somewhere in England. <laughs> That's all I know. Yeah, got that. <laughs> <laughs> it's in his backyard, and he joked at the TED conference video that when the ice caps melt and the water rises, he's all set to go with his studio. <laughs> yeah, I can. In fact, let me just play that intro. I've been um, playing TED for nearly a decade, and um, I've very rarely played any new songs of my own, and that was largely because there weren't any. <laughs> Um, I've been busy with a couple of projects, and one of them was this, the Nutmeg, a 1930s ship's lifeboat, which I've been restoring in the garden of my beach house in England. And so now, when the polar ice caps melt, my recording studio will rise up like an ark, and I'll float off into the drowned world like a character from a J.G. Ballard novel. During the day, the nutmeg collects energy from solar panels on the roof of the wheelhouse and from a 450-watt turbine up the mast. And so on. Um, the, he goes, like goes on it he, collects energy. It He's in the north of England. He's not going to be getting much sunlight, is he? He's going to be pissing down all the time. <laughs> That's probably very true. Uh, anyway, what a like fabulous you, space. Where, where was that taken from, Nick? Where was that? That was taken from was uh, TED Talk, which was in May 2010. It was his TED appearance. He's been doing TED uh, conference, which is you know a bunch of um, creative thinkers and stuff hanging out and uh, right. talking to oh, each other. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Thomas Dolby. Yeah, I, I have to say, and then he went on to play a, a song about Billie Holiday, which was really nice as well, because he's got a new album, first studio. Can you believe this? First studio album in 20 years. Since um, Astronauts and Heretics, I guess. Just astonishing, really. Yeah. Um, but what a great studio. It does make you feel But I was looking at it, and I was thinking, how on earth? You're up there, you're up by the seaside, and you're in a basically what looks like a greenhouse because you've got windows all around. How are you going to see the screens and stuff? It's just not, it's not practical. It can't be practical. <laughs> Surely. What, a, what an idiot. What a fool. 
<laughs> I think it's but beautiful. Eh? I mean, I, I'm, this this raised a couple of questions. I mean, apart from the fact it's great, but um, you know, where have you been that you thought this? I'd like this to be mine. I want to work here. I've seen a hundred of them. <laughs> I any love of them the, all. Any of them in particular? Well, yeah, the power station in New York, now called Avatar. Um, but I mean, I think you're talking about more the idyllic uh, getaway spots like i guess thomas dolby's backyard or something uh, where he's got the boat um yeah there's got to be a mode of transport i don't know but right. actually thinking about boats didn't the crystal method have a boat with a studio in it as well i'm pretty sure i did We've, we 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 did publish a uh, press kit that they sent us several years ago and they they've got a boat in there you know and theirs is a boat as well but it's you know landlocked not likely the high tide's not likely to wash it away well, I haven't worked on a boat, but as you know, I did build a studio, a small studio, into a villa in uh, Turks and Caicos. Oh yes, that's right. Because you you uh, did you did the uh, the show live from there, didn't you? That I was, did a sh- that was fantastic Sonic Talk podcast from my from my uh, little villa in yes. <laughs> is that so, is that somewhere you'd like to spend more time working? Oh, uh, I'd like to spend. I could spend more time there sweeping the floor. That place is unbelievable. Um, Where's that, Nick? Yeah, uh, Richard. It's in Turks and Caicos. It's a resort called. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's for people with far more money than I've got. Um, but I mean, so many. Uh, first of all, if you want to just get the traditional studios, I'm really spoiled. I've been very fortunate, and for 30 years, I've worked in world-class studio facilities, any of which would fall pretty much into this category for the most part, and some of which were located in out-of-town, idyllic locations, like there was one up in the woods in upstate New York called Bear Tracks that was gorgeous. It was owned by uh, Spirogyra. Um, there's one here in Connecticut called Carriage House that's very you know, nice and pretty around and has good views and everything. They're, they're, they're not boats. And, in, and as regards modes of transportation, I did an album in 1983 that was recorded on Le Mobile recording truck, and that was quite an experience. And that was before it was really possible on the grand scale to record pretty much anywhere you wanted. I mean, you know, for most people. So there's t- and then there's one in Eastern Connecticut that's called Sonalist. That's a re uh, a recreation of the studio, a power station room from New York. And there's just Los Angeles has got record plant next to C studios and A&M and oh, whatever that's called these days. Henson. There's just, there's so many, you know, I've been very fortunate. Mm. I've been to any of these places. So given, I mean, given your opportunity to actually, uh, well, perhaps we'll go to Dave and then I'll come back with you that question. Dave, I mean, you, as, as uh, editor of uh, ProSign News Europe, I mean, obviously, you know, you get to visit a lot of studios and workrooms and stuff. I mean, any particularly stand out as kind of the place you think, yeah, I wouldn't mind one of those in the, at the back? Well, I've seen, um, I don't know whether, you know, uh, Will from uh, Universal Audio, but he used to have this fantastic Airstream, which he kitted out with a, with a load of antique Universal Audio kit. He, he bought an Airstream, stripped it out, um, kind of refurbished it, and um, it used to be parked up outside their uh, offices in um, in Santa Cruz. Um, last time I visited, which two three years ago, I think. But that was lovely, and um, you know, he got this all this original UA kit and and the, the Yuri stuff um, from from Bill Putnam Senior. Um, as well alongside the, the laptop and the plugins and the UAD and all that kind of stuff. Um, I thought that was lovely. Fortunately, Will, he just didn't have time to, to run it. He was raising a family, so he ended up selling it, which is a shame. But, I mean, he made he made a good profit on it, but, 
yeah, it's a shame he couldn't have held on to it. And of course, recently we've had the Ronnie Lane um, mobile has come back, and this is this classic um, another Airstream, a bigger Airstream, which um, I think well, I don't know one size fits all. I don't know, but anyway, um, another Airstream that was fitted out for recording and um, was used by Pete Townsend and Ronnie Wood and, and uh, various people, well, the Rolling Stones and various uh, various bands used this in the uh, in the seventies. And um, it's kind of brought this back with uh, with Kavak desks and uh, vintage kits and vintage mics, and that was at um, the Plaza show uh, oh, last year, good. and was at uh, was at Frankfurt this year. That's uh, that must be super to to recording, you know, somewhere somewhere very different. I've just got to but, run this um, by you. Analog boy in the chat room said, "I once left a porter studio in a caravan in, St- in Skegness." Is that the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> Sunny Skegnet, just down the road from where Thomas Dolby might be, eh? Uh, maybe, yeah. Um, I, I've, I know of, I've been told of, and this is a really good idea for a business, there's a company called Remote Taxi, and you can, you can check out their website, remotetaxi.com. And uh, what they're doing, I think they're going to franchise this. I hope I'm not saying anything I shouldn't, but uh, they've got one cab. It's a London taxi cab. Yeah. And it's, in, uh, it's based in Germany. Yeah. And what they've done is strip out all the seats and strip out everything but bar the driver's seat and converted the back of the cab into a location recording, you know, a mobile, a mobile recording van, but it's actually a TX4 cab. Wow. Um, and uh, it's the sort of thing where as soon as that turns up in anywhere other than the UK, people go, oh, what's that? And then, that, you know, it's a recording studio in, in the back of a cab. I kind of quite like that that concept, and I think they're going to try and doing it, try doing it in other places. I mean, you couldn't really do that in a in a in a, a German Merc cab or, or you know a sort of a, a no, a, you wouldn't a, have the headroom, would you? Taxi, a, a yellow taxi, but but something about the shape of the of the black cab, the Hackney carriage, allows you to do that. So that's uh, what, um, what did what do you know what gear they put in it? I'm just curious. Is it like a broadcast no, thing? But I think it's very much for location recording. Right. So there'll be a laptop, and yeah, it'll be. Uh, we're going to do something on it in the magazine, I hope, um, because uh, I want to know exactly how they're doing it. But but I mean, I'm standing here. I'm I'm standing here looking out the window. I'm seeing these railway carriages go past. I think the idea of, of of getting a sort of an old railway carriage and having that in your back garden, making that into um, into a studio. That'd be, that'd be not something nice to do. I do. I mean, I, I do like the idea of having somewhere, somewhere that's just inspirational and, and lovely. But yes, one can dream, can't one? I mean, but that, well, the, the, the boat, I'll just do a quick flash of it. There it is, the, uh, the nutmeg, 1920s or 1930s. It looks like it's all happening in the actual cockpit, although there must be something downstairs that he could do. But yeah, it looks absolutely. No, it says he's. It's on the bridge. It's, it's the just on the, the bridge. Boat. He's looking out the window. A windows. bit, a bit like this it. here. My kind of uh, giant array of um, laptops and incre- I'm getting more and more monitors <laughs> now. Yeah. Well, have you seen pictures of the studio at Niles lately? I do, uh, no, not recently. I think. Uh, well, not. You need to get your studio cam set up, right? Yeah. Uh, get it. Get it feeding out again. Let's have another look. Uh, that's been next, believe me. But. Uh, but there are pictures on my various pages of the studio there, and it's, you know, overlooking the water with glass on three sides and cathedral ceilings, and it's Ooh. not a bad place no, to go to work. I, I Yeah, I, I'm sure it's not. Certainly beats um, this with the air conditioner right next to me that I can't switch on because it's too loud. <laughs> not that I need. One of the most famous boats for recording is the, um, it, it was the Eel Pie. And which was owned by Pete Townsend, which oh, is really? a converted barge. 
Yeah, I mean, you check this out. It's quite easy. It should be quite quite easy to find. Um, it was owned by Pete Townsend for years, and then I believe he sold it to Ian Broody from the Lightning Seeds, who I think is the current owner. And um, certainly in Pro Sound, about ten years ago, we had, there were pictures of of the they had it. You know, it had it's big enough to get an SSL desk in there, and uh, there were pictures of it being of the crane loading it in and out of the uh, of the barge. Wow. I've never seen it, but I, I believe it's still, and I think it's a private studio, you know, rather than a commercial one. Sure. Certainly, a boat that is a studio that that will be the, uh, the the most famous one known to the recording industry in this country. Well, of course, um, there was uh, the classic, which was the classic millionaire thing, which was uh, Paul Allen, who's the other half of the Microsoft. Oh, yeah. um, apparently, Paul Allen had a boat with a recording studio on it. And uh, when I worked out at Real World for a little while, um, there were visits being made because he was funding or had something to do with the uh, CD-ROM that I was working on at the time. And um, that that apparently uh, everybody was going wow. Apparently, the desk came out of the floor yeah or something yeah, or speakers and everything yeah yeah mind you any <laughs> leaks i mean you know you don't want to put too much good kit in there you're out in the ocean get a bit of a leak freak wave not oh. just that the just the moisture environment in general being right on the water let me assure you i just had our microphone serviced after like i don't know a year a year and a half that the moisture takes its toll on the gear even if it doesn't physically get wet uh the humid environment uh uh, right. reduces the quality of the connections in your patch bay. Uh, mic connectors on the back of microphones start to oxidize. It it really does take a big toll. Goodness knows what's happening to Thomas Dolby stuff, because that's right on the coast, isn't it? Which is very damn, because I remember um, a couple of people mm. I know who've lived in LA and lived in places which are kind of notionally beautiful on the beach. They said it's just terrible in terms of condensation and damp. All your stuff rots. Well, LA, though, has... 20% humidity like most of the year. I'm yeah. talking to the northern I mean and for and it relates to Dolby uh in the pictures it looks to me like he's farther from the water than my studio is. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean maybe. um and and that's not to say he doesn't have problems there but uh LA is a particularly bad example because it's so dry out there. Um in general. So even if you're near the water it ain't nothing like being on the east coast of the United States or in England where it rains all the time. Yeah. And uh you know, you get all that moisture coming back out of the ground and everything. Oh, well, the, the, the trials and tribulations of having a beautiful recording studio, eh? Hey, <laughs> should, we, should we quickly um, get a bit of um, free samples going? Because that was quite an interesting one. And, uh, and then, then we're done, if that's all right with everybody. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, you've got to go, haven't you? Um, uh, well, I have, really. I've, I've got nothing much to add to this other than anything. Uh, if they're free and they're any good, then, uh, then great. I mean, <laughs> why not? Indeed. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to disappear if you don't mind. So, Dave Robinson, prosignnewseurope.com, man about town. Just put the episode to bed so you can go off and uh, and relax. And thanks for joining us this well, week. Well, uh, yeah, I, I can't actually. I've just remembered I've actually got a meeting tomorrow. So, but thanks for that. And Rich, I'll uh, I'll find you out on Facebook, mate. Well, thank you very much too. was a selection of uh, free samples, uh, tracks made from free, free drum samples, 
um, and which was found uh, by Bedroom Producers blog, uh, which is a great blog, actually. It's uh, part of a series by a chap called Tomislav. He's done three. There's uh, circuit bends and glitches, free samples, acoustic kits, which was what we were hearing there, and also acoustic electric toy pianos. He's done quite a range of them. And the first one we heard there, the first two here were from Michael Kingston, were the riders, the Easy Rider and the Rough Riders, uh, available in various formats. And then the last one, which sounded incredibly real to me, was uh, Analog Drums, which was of uh, Roger's Dynasonic uh, snare drums and Tasty Sil uh, Zildjans and various other Ludwigs. And some of them were pretty damn good, weren't they, Rich? I mean, they sounded real. Obviously, they could do with some processing and mix up. But what did you think? I liked the last one the best of the ones you played. I looked over this website, but I didn't audition the samples prior to this moment. And uh, it's, all very, it's all very good. And I'm, I'm thrilled to see that these things are available to people. And now that I've heard them, they sound pretty good. The last one sounds better than pretty good. Um, I'm not in love with the ambiences that I heard built into the other samples. But uh, it's great for folks who, I guess his, his message on the website was to the effect that, well, since BFD, Addictive Drums, Tune Track, and all those other Easy Drummer and everybody else uh, costs, you know, X, this is for guys who can't afford X and need to have some decent drum sounds. And, you know, I'm all about it. It's cool. Yeah, there's some great right. stuff in there. I, I, I'm, I mean, the analog drums one was quite interesting. I mean, that was tracked through a Neve 75 desk, <laughs> a 1975 Neve, Neve desk, recorded in mono using Decatree com configuration. And, and that's, well, it's called Big okay. Mono, which is why the way it sounded does, and obviously a really good player. But I wasn't quite sure whether that demo was them being re-triggered, in which case there's an awesome set of sounds, or whether they were actually recorded from the original session if you see what i mean i wasn't totally clear on that but uh, they did sound more attractive but there's a whole bunch of there not all of them as we said had um uh a previews but they seem to be available in, in various different formats and you're probably going to have to map them but what's really cool about this is obviously he releases the samples there's uh like the uh, the michael kingston one there's the ones available in sound font and then people take the raw samples and turn them into esx or limplug or lm4 or hallian and you can get hold of them that way and it just seems like quite a nice um sort of almost open sourcing sounds which just seems like quite a nice idea yeah i agree I agree. It's nice. I mean, it's nice to have them available for the people. There's also uh, a bunch of people nowadays who are releasing pretty comprehensive sample sets at very low cost. Uh, I know Stephen Slate Drums has done it through AudioMidi.com, and a, a few people are doing it. And uh, it's real nice. I still do love my addictive drums and BFD2 uh, kits. What, what is the difference think, then? Is it, is it to the, the attention to detail and the, the ability to fund such a massive recording session and then the programmatical difficulties of actually being able to, you know, deliver all of those different dynamic levels? I mean, what is it that differentiates it? Because I remember I've got some sounds even on ESX now that I still just love for the character. They're not very dynamic, sure, but given the right hit range, they'll sort of work. Well, for imitative drum programming which as, as apart from electronic sounding drum programming i find that bfd and uh addictive drums both provide a really nice range of articulations through the dynamic range and it, it becomes fairly easy for me to manipulate their interfaces to get the right drums in the right spots and fed to the right outputs and the programming sounds good and i can find nice velocity points where i get the kind of tone i want out of a particular drum or a tom-tom mm -hmm. or what have you and uh 
they're just I find them really easy to operate and loaded with lots of good sounds. Um, is it uh, just uh, interesting that taking that mix analogy? Is it partly to do with the fact that you can you can almost split it out and treat it in the same way that you would a multi-track kit? Does that kind of make it's it? It's exactly that, and it's exactly how I use it. I'll instantiate one of them and create outputs to auxes on every you know on every single drum and bring them back onto aux faders in my DAW and treat them each as though it were an analog desk and I had a drummer sitting out in the room. Ah. And it's, it's exactly because of that. Uh, and, and it's all set up easily to do that. And, you know, you got your overheads and they've got various room simulations and you've got, it's, it's really nice. I like it. And, and then within each drums editor, like let's say the snare is close, but you've got you don't have the right balance of top and bottom or whatever you know you want to change virtual microphones. You can move things around. I mean, you, you, they give you a a lot of uh, variable in terms of the ability to manipulate the sound to your liking, and uh, I get really nice realistic results out of those things. Now, would I get nice realistic results out of these these sample sets? Probably because. I think getting nice realistic results has more to do with your ability to put yourself in the mindset of the person playing the thing than any particular aspect of the sound. As usual with me, or I th- me, I always think it's less about the gear than the people operating it. So I'd probably get decent results with these sample sets too. It's just I've got my little comfort zone, and I'm cool with it. And I don't think I, addictive drums isn't very expensive, if I remember correctly. It's a couple or three hundred bucks. Hmm. A lot of these things, I mean, you know, just dedicated to the drums, obviously, uh, there's a, a lot, they use a lot of bandwidth and a lot of kind of CPU. Do you tend to print, just tend to print them down when you're kind of happy with it and then have a session that if you need to go back and change, you do, or do you still, you just run them live until the last minute? I'm still doing that with everything, not just with drums. Oh, uh, right. Okay. I, I'm still uh, printing. I can't keep that many, and I have, you know, eight core, big name, Whizbang Mac Pro. You know, I can't, and maybe it's because of RCAS, but I end up, I find I get better results and smoother running sessions if I print things as I go and then be willing to just reopen their MIDI tracks and their virtual instrument tracks and make modifications as needed, and then which re- is often. And then reprint, mm-hmm. right, yeah. So you, yeah. Keep, you keep it all in the same session. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay, and then just hide them away. Yeah, exactly. Dis- uh, I'll, right. uh, I'll, remo- I'll disable them and hide them away so that they're not eating CPU silently in the background and, uh, and work with my printed versions. I mean, there's a point in the writing process where I'll do that. There's a point before which I don't want to do that because too many things are changing too frequently. But when the change rate starts to slow down a bit is when I start printing things. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting because that's always been, you know, you, you end up with very, I mean, I guess Pro Tools is quite good for that because you can, uh, you can hide things away and views really help you just sort of manage the session from a, just a manageability point of view because the track counts really start to add up. Saying something like Logic or whatever, although you've got track hiding and stuff, it doesn't seem quite as elegant as perhaps it is in tools and other doors. Um, it seems to me you can do it anywhere, though. Yeah. And and with any of these devices, Stylus RMX, same thing. You can it, It'll offer you a whole pile of aux outputs or even contact. Sometimes I'll sometimes I'll spread the sounds across a number of different sources too. Wherever I get the best sounding one of what it is I'm looking for. Hmm. Well, um, 
I'm glad we finished on a, 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 a musical technical note. I'm sort of feeling like we rallied round after our diversion into social media. And um, <laughs> very, very much appreciate you coming in. I can see your face now, Rich. I don't know what you probably can't see me, can you? Because I'm. Uh... Yeah, I can. Oh, you've got the video feed coming back at you as well. I've have got you? Ustream. I've got Ustream on this computer over here, and I've got Skype over here on the computer you're looking at. Me. A man I'm after my there. own heart. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, um, I just want to say thank you very much to everybody in the chat room for joining us. Uh, really much appreciated. Next week, there will be no live show. I'm hoping that we got an interview uh, recorded. I'm just waiting to hear back, uh, and that will be going up live. But if not, it will just be a no-show thing, so uh, everybody can take the week off. And uh, Kiwi Steve will probably be um, very pleased at not having to get up so early in the morning, which, of course, we very much appreciate that you do. Uh, he's our... Uh, New Zealand listener, and it's kind of some god-awful time in the morning for the live show, but thank you very much for, for being there. And uh, also, thanks to our guests. Um, thanks, Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And also, My pleasure. And, and also uh, Dave Robertson, who's now left the building. Uh, I think I might leave us with a, a little bit of... Um, Korg Prophecy. If uh, those listening last week or listened to the last week's show will know that uh, I made a purchase live, rash though it may have been... <laughs> live on the show and it's shown up and i have to say it's in very nice condition uh and uh, i've been sort of trying to get my head around it it's again it's one of those synths that's really really expressive i was surprised at how expressive it is uh although i keep thinking i'd really like it to be polyphonic some of these sounds would sound so cool polyphonically and everybody tells me that i should program it but it's such a to be honest, the programmatical interface is a nightmare. For instance, you go to the filter page and you've got frequency and then envelope amount rather than frequency and resonance together on the same page. It's just this really weird way of uh, they've laid it out. I'm, I don't know if they're editors or anything, but uh, very, very um, playable. So uh, I was trying to find out if I can figure out a way to uh, utilize it somehow. <laughs> but there it is. And it does sound very nice. Anyway, I'll um, I'll leave you to enjoy the Cat Sounds of the Cork Prophecy. And thanks once again, Rich. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number 182.